0: I had a friend who said to me, if you were renting a house and you stood up one day and hit the ceiling, would you rip apart the house and take down the ceiling to make it higher? You're renting that house. It's not your house. Or would you just go build another house with a taller ceiling <laughs> or go rent another house with a taller ceiling, right? Like there's no reason for me to have stayed there when I hit this glass, glass ceiling, I gotta move on and go somewhere else. And I think if every woman or person that was being discriminated against had the financial bandwidth and the emotional resilience to be able to do that, these companies that are discriminating would be screwed because all the talent would be leaving.
1: Hello and welcome back. In this episode, I interview Diana Merriam. Diana is the founder of the Economy Conference, also known as the TED Talks of the FIRE Movement. FIRE standing for Financial Independent Retire Early. She's also the host of the popular podcast Optimal Finance Daily, where she narrates articles from the best personal finance blogs on the planet. After getting out of $30,000 of debt in 11 months, she used her newfound financial freedom to negotiate a remote working arrangement with her employer, take a two month sabbatical to walk 500 miles across Northern Spain on the Camino de Santiago and launch her new business. Diana saved 60% of her income and is on track to be financially independent by the time she's 40. We called this episode the power of FU money because it was her powerful money narratives and habits that allowed her to quit her high paying job that was soulless to start her new business without any financial worries. If you wish to hear a powerful mindset around money from a young woman who is kicking ass financially, well, you'll wish to listen in. Please enjoy my conversation with Diana Merriam. Welcome back, I'm so glad to take off um, to, take our conversation from where we left off last time. And just for everybody listening, I'd love you to tell your story. It's such a good story.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me, Christina. I am thrilled to chat with you today. Um, I'd say that my money story, really like kind of the turning point for me was in my late twenties. I was living in New York city. I was 30 grand in debt. And, you know, I had been so focused on my career and realized that I really didn't have much to show for it because I was just wasting my money, living it up in New York city. I was having my twenties as they like to say. And I discovered this blog called Mr. Money Mustache. And he's one of the most popular bloggers in the FIRE movement, which stands for financial independence, retire early. And when I found this blog, it just completely changed my relationship with money. I like to describe it as this like refreshing punch in the face because it really helped me see how wasteful I was being. It helped me see that how powerful money is as a resource. And, you know, I had this mentality when I was younger that I would figure out money later when I was making my millions. Right. And it's great that I had confidence in myself in my earning abilities. (laughs) However, it's not a good financial strategy. And, it led me to be 30 grand in debt at 28 years old. And half of my debt was credit card debt simply from living outside my means. And then the other half of my debt was from student loans, which really doesn't sound too bad, right? 15 grand in student loan debt is nothing compared to what most people walk away with. However, I went to school on a full academic scholarship. I shouldn't have had any student loans. And I took out loans for living expenses because nobody told me that I shouldn't, right? I really didn't need that money. I could have made it work, Um, but it was offered to me. And so I just took it. And so I had the student loan debt. So based on what I learned on changing my mindset around money, it enabled me to get out of 30 grand of debt in 11 months, which was way faster than I ever thought was possible before I changed my mindset around money. And then from there, I started saving about 60% of my income and that opened up a world of opportunity for me. It gave me the confidence to ask my employer to move away from New York City. I moved to Cincinnati, which is one of the lowest cost of living metro areas in the country. Um, I took two months off of work unpaid and went and walked the Camino in Spain, which is a 500 mile trek across Spain. I came back and I bought a house and adopted a dog and found myself a Midwestern gentleman. And then I ended up uh, fully funding my own business. Um, and then from there I ended up quitting my full-time job. So, I mean, it, it seems like such a crazy chain of events in just, I mean, this was. Fall of 2015 when I discovered the fire movement and to look back on like how far I've come since then, I had no idea that any of this was possible. I really didn't. And I think it just shows how a shift in mindset around, around money can really change the trajectory of your life.
1: Oh, thank you. That's such a good story. So thank you for sharing it. And what I'd like to do is a little bit of contrast with you since that it's really not been that long since you were in one mindset and now we have another. And let's even take the word mindset out of it. It is a mindset, but just tell me when you're living life in New York city, you're making a high income, you're doing well, you've got the job, you've got the sexy lifestyle. you probably just feel like, man, life is awesome. Like look where I am and what I'm doing. But share with me and the listeners, what was the obliviousness to? So what was like the way of thinking and behaving that was so natural that, you know, invisible in a way that you were just in that type of what I call lifestyle or way of being.
0: Yeah. Well, I would say number one, you know, based on, on your comment that like, oh, it's this sexy lifestyle. And I was so happy. I actually don't think I was very happy. I was partying a lot and going out with friends and like had this endless stream of men I was casually dating. Right. But I wouldn't say that the way I was spending money was aligned with my values and was making me very happy. Um, So I think where the mindset shift happened was really recognizing that every dollar I earn, I'm spending, but I'm either spending it on stuff or going out drinking with my friends, or I'm spending it on creating options, creating time and freedom in my life. And that form of spending is in terms of saving and investing. So just looking at you know every dollar coming in and r- seeing how wasteful I was being and that the way I was spending money was not leading me to where I wanted to be is, I think that realization made me just do a complete 180. I also recognized that I have been conditioned, we all have been conditioned to be consumers since the day we were born. And our society tells us to want more, to buy more and that stuff is gonna make you happy. And what I learned is that the stuff I was buying and the wasteful spending I was doing was not making me happy. The things that make me happy are relationships with other people, which I was severely lacking at the time even though I was partying all the time. It was very on the surface relationships. Um, It's the ability to be creative and put something out into the world that you're really proud of. And it's autonomy over your time. I didn't have any of those things when I was wasting money. I needed to build that into my life by actually spending less and saving and investing my money.
1: So when you say wasteful, that's a judgment really. So what do you mean wasteful? why what why would why would you consider it wasteful? Is it because it was going towards a a life and lifestyle that really didn't make you happy? so you're wasting your money on stuff and a life that at the end of the day didn't matter?
0: Yeah, okay. I mean, i I think going out and you know partying all the time was that, leading me to where I wanted to go. And I think I, at the time, I didn't even have clarity on where I wanted to go.
1: That was my follow-up question. Like, did yeah. you know where you wanted to go? I mean, that's part of it, right? That if we don't have, exactly. if we don't know what we want or what's important to us or, or what some, you know, end game is, even if it's, you know, in a short horizon of time, like just a near future, how right. could we ever, if we don't even have that, if that's oblivious, you know, if it's not even in the thought pattern whatsoever. Exactly.
0: And I think when I say wasteful, it's because I've gained a lot of satisfaction out of being resourceful. So when I think about getting my needs met, you know, we all have to eat, for instance. So for me to go out and, you know, spend money at a fancy restaurant, I'm, I'm getting that need met. But I could actually get that need met in a much more resourceful way by cooking a gourmet meal at home. And not only am I getting that need met, but I am, you know, building confidence and a skill set that I didn't have before. I'm being creative by creating my own meal. I, when I stopped going out so much, I ended up, I started hosting these elaborate dinner parties at my house where I would invite all my friends over, they'd bring the booze, I'd cook great food, and I made my apartment more fun than a bar. That ended up being more satisfying for me in the long run, and it saved me money. Same thing with, um, you know, we all need clothing, right? So for this time that I was getting out of debt, I stopped buying clothing and I started hosting these clothing exchanges with my friends where we'd all clear out our closets, come to my place for an afternoon of like mimosas and music and we'd all trade clothes. And I walked away from those clothing exchanges with a full closet of more fashionable clothes than I would have bought at the time. Right. And so it was a more resourceful, fun way to get that need met. And it was very creative. So that's why like when people think about frugality and getting out of debt and reducing their expenses, which I really reduced my expenses to be able to pay off that debt. A lot of people think of deprivation. And I think that if, if it feels like deprivation, I would challenge you to get more creative with it because I found the creativity very satisfying,
1: Yeah. You know, what I found too is, and I like the word resourceful because it does force you to be more creative, but there's also the satisfaction. Like, you know, it's so easy to spend money on luxuries or being taken care of like, oh, I don't wash my dishes anymore because I make a high income and I don't do my landscaping anymore because I make a high income and I don't I don't make my beds anymore because I have a high income and I don't cook my food anymore because I have a high income and all of our money gets taken away by consumption and services or convenience or quote unquote, like these pleasures, like, oh my, I'm almost too above that type of thing, type mentality that can kind of creep in, which there's nothing wrong with that. Again, no judgment. What, What I found, I get just like this personal satisfaction by taking care of my own stuff. Oh, yeah. And sometimes where I might, where I used to maybe have the maid like once or twice a week, now I just like put my stuff up, doing my things, taking care of my place. And she comes once a month just to kind of do some deep cleaning type thing. And, you know, so, or the eating out thing, like it used to be eating out all the time. And now, There's the satisfaction of eating at home and eating healthier and everything else and not spending as much money, but then when eating out, it's more of a novelty, right? It's more of an experience. It's more like a treat as opposed to kind of an expectation or just a normal day-to-day life. So I've just found there's so much satisfaction in taking care
0: of my life in a
1: way, you know, that feels good. And then I'm like, damn, that really looks good, you know, or whatever the case is.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I think, was it, um, George Bernard Shaw who said, that happiness is not in seeking more, but in developing the capacity to enjoy less. And I think when you, when you have self-imposed restriction, that to me is the key difference. I wanted to learn to live below my means on my terms before it was imposed on me by external, uh, you know, factors. Like if I lost my income, for instance, so by like using by by choosing to reduce my expenses i was learning this these skills these frugal skills on my own terms and and that's what led to like the creativity and resourcefulness i don't know if the process would be as enjoyable if it was due to a loss of income so you know and and i think just learning about money from mr money mustache it, it just really reoriented me. And you know, one, it's funny, you talk about like luxury and convenience. He, one of the, my favorite lines from him is that luxury is a weakness because if you are so used to having that luxury, you need to fund that. And now you have more pressure to make an income. If you can learn to be satisfied, uh, by reducing your expenses, it's like, it feels to me like a superpower and it's enabled me to do a lot more with my money than that is more satisfying, like walking across the country or funding a business, right? It, these are all trade-offs that we make. And um, yeah, it's, it's just been a
1: really interesting discovery for me that I did not expect. Oh, I love that luxury is a weakness. It reminds me of that one of the Parkinson's laws of money and Parkinson's law of money says it's kind of twofold. And the first part says expenses will always rise to match income. There's always that lifestyle creep or that expense creep that naturally happens, when we're not paying attention to our money. Mm -hmm. Like you said, really looking at every dollar, the follow-up to that is what was once a luxury becomes a necessity. Yeah. And so we get used to this expensive lifestyle. And then if it had, if the economy corrects, or if you lose a job or something happens in this force, but you don't want to let go of the luxury. You don't you moved up to that very fancy top of the line, BMW, something changes. You don't want to go back to the Honda. It's like, there's this entitlement almost. And so that luxurious lifestyle to your point can, I like that can be a weakness. It can be, you know, we just get used to it or we feel that we need that external validation. What will people think if I, if I downgrade the car?
0: Right? Yeah. Well, and if you recognize that the material possessions in your life aren't really contributing to your happiness, it's easy to make those trade-offs. So like, for example, you know, I bought a $6,000 used Mazda 3, 2010 Mazda 3, right? It is not a fancy car. I could certainly afford more. Uh, you know, a, a a nicer car, but I don't value that. And I don't, my self-worth is not determined by what I drive. So you know what I did instead? I put a sticker on the back of it that says, my other vehicle is a 401k, <laughs> <laughs> right?
1: My money is not I in my car. It. Oh my God. That is <laughs> so good. That's so good. Well, it's just funny too. Like when you really adopt this type of mindset and lifestyle. And to your point there is that, for example, I had this exit in one of my assets this last, like at the beginning of the year. And so I got a bunch of cash and out of selling this, actually this piece of real estate. And I had this thing, like my car is a 2012, I paid cash for it. It's a nice car. And, but it's, you know, it's, it's used, I've driven this thing. Right. And so I thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe I'll finally buy me a new car with this cash because just do something nice for myself type of thing. And, you know, I could afford it. Then when I got all the money and it's all sitting there, I couldn't buy the car. I want, I had to put it into more assets. You know, I just, you know, in that case I put it into cryptocurrency, but my point was cryptocurrency or car make money or have just a nicer pair of wheels to drive. I'm just going to keep driving the car till the wheels fall off. And I'm going to just make money with the money. And even though I, and you know, it's just, I had that opportunity to make that choice. The choice was, no, it's just so much more fun to, to see the money grow. I can drive this Definitely. car for, you know, for a while longer, you know, totally agree. Yeah. It, but it's just different, right? It's, it's, yep. you know, it's, just, it's, it's kind of the opposite of what I'd say kind of the normal mindset is like, oh, yay, a bunch of money. Let's go buy a new stuff. Yeah, I mean, when people think
0: like, oh, I wanna get rich, it's because they imagine all this fancy stuff that goes along with it. And I think the reason why we desire that is again, we have been conditioned since birth to desire that because we think, we make assumptions about what that stuff is gonna feel like to have. And who was it? Was it Jim Carrey who said, I wish everyone could be rich and famous so that you realize you don't wanna be rich and famous. Because it's not going to feel the way you think it feels. If that was true, then no rich people would be depressed. And there's a lot of depression amongst the rich, right? It's it's a bill of goods we've been sold. And I think that money can actually be used um, to really pursue personal development. That's what I found in my in my life. Because when I stopped spending money and going out so much, I started spending more time alone. I started enjoying my own company. What a concept. I'd never done that before. I was constantly distracting myself, right? I started reading a lot. I started journaling. I started working out more. I started taking really good care of myself. That makes me feel wealthy. And that doesn't require any spending of money.
1: Yeah, wow, so good. That also makes me think that that just again i i love this exchange but on a personal note you know i i own this house in the austin hill country it's a beautiful home it's a it's a like a multi-million dollar house it's beautiful i built it it's in the setting but then it was just so much drag even though it's paid off and everything it's just so much a drag to take care of it and just all the expenses just to keep it going and then finally i just thought screw that i'm just gonna downsize and just downscale my life And the point being that now i'm like in a 1300 square foot little bungalow you know radically different lifestyle so small you know i have to like change out my closets every you know before i had so much closet space i could (laughs) fill every closet now i have to change out my closets because i have so little closet space for example but the point is that i'm just as happy here as i was there if not happier you know to that point and like we take ourselves no matter wherever we go, like no no change of scenery or no possession or nothing like to your point is going to change how we feel inside. We are who we are and we we're, we feel how we feel. And to your point, when we're out of so much of that game and distraction and heaviness and burden and financial drain, you know, just by maxing out those expenses to cover that lifestyle, we to your point, we don't have a lot of space to do actually the work that actually does make us happy people, like what you were saying. Right. And again, it's it's just so counterintuitive.
0: It really is. It really is. Like when, you know, I would hear people talk about this stuff and go, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a difference between understanding something intellectually and actually living it and feeling it. Like it may, you're only gonna really understand it when you put
1: these things into practice. So let me ask you a couple things. So when, when we're saying, when you're using the word financial independence, you know, one thing with the fire movement that, you know, there's so many things about the fire movement that are just right on. There's other aspects I don't necessarily agree with. I'm not opposed to them, but I don't necessarily agree that to them for myself, but you know one of those is retire early because retirement mm-hmm. has a connotation to it that that I don't know if it's really healthy in the sense yeah. of you know if I retire at 35 you know there what what does that mean exactly yeah. and
0: yeah and I don't
1: know if a lot of thought goes into that. Now I do well, like the word financial independence. And so Tell me what you mean. What's your definition of financial independence? Sure. So the definition
0: of financial independence from a numbers perspective is that you have 25 times your yearly expenses in your nest egg and that you can draw down from that at a safe 4% withdrawal rate. And that money is going to last the rest of your life that is what we were we are all striving for for traditional retirement at 65 we need to have 25 times our yearly expenses so that we can draw down at a safe 4% rate so the fire movement just aims to get to, to reach that point sooner in life, to reject the notion that you have to wait until 65 for that. That, you know, if you're looking for autonomy over your time, you don't necessarily need to wait that long. So it's not, that's, that's kind of the, the definition for financial independence. When it comes to retirement, it's a tough word because most people think of retirement and think, well, I'm gonna be sitting around all day doing nothing. And that to me sounds like a nightmare. If you are 65 and you're doing that, please don't do that. Even if you're retiring a traditional retirement age, please don't sit around and do nothing because I think that effort is the spice of life and that you, you know, I've watched many people retire and fall into depression because if you're not giving yourself anything to do, it's not a great place to be, right? What I think the FIRE movement is all about is separating your work from your finances. I don't think it necessarily means that you don't work. I think that you just don't have any pressure for that work to provide for your livelihood. So when I think about, you know, even the stuff that I've been able to do and I'm not financially independent, you know, the business that I founded, I don't make any money off of it. I actually, the idea behind this business called the economy conference, it's basically like the Ted talks of the fire movement. It's an event I produce. And the idea of it came from me thinking, what would I do with my time if I didn't need to make money? And I decided I wanted to create a party about money and to not have any worry about making money off of it. And so it's like a full-time job. It's a lot of work, but I don't need it to provide for my livelihood. That was the goal of, of creating that business. And so I, I get it that it's confusing to people. Like, why would I want to retire early? I think financial independence opens up the option to do that. It opens up the option for a mini retirement. Maybe you take a year or two off, go do something cool. And then become self-employed or, you know, go find another job, do whatever you want to do. I think it's much more about creating options and retirement is the ultimate option. So that's why I think we call it FIRE is because it creates that option for you, but it doesn't necessarily mean you've got to execute it the way that everybody else
1: thinks you should. Yeah. And financial independence is time freedom. Yeah, means that we have, we get to choose what to do with our time. And that's ultimately what we're all looking for when we don't when we can't choose. And there's that constant pressure to have to be in the grind, be in the hustle, go like not, you know, feel guilty when you take time off just because you, you need it, but you're wondering if you should do it. Mm-hmm. That's that constant pressure that most Americans live with their entire lives and then and it never goes away. Right. And there's another thing with the, you know, when you say that, you know, and it is the 25, the 25 times. So what that means though, is the earlier you start, the better. Yeah. And you know, so much, that's why I love like at your age and what you're doing and like my daughter's age is this, it's a different mindset and the, in the idea that I really can have financial independence and all that time freedom by the time when most people are just getting started. Yeah. Because at the same time, you can start at 25 and maybe be done at 45, as opposed to start at 45 and be done at 65. You know, exactly to have those freedoms and you know, and, and age matters. 100%. And I, you know, I just love this. Like, there's this idea, like you said, that your mindset was, "I'll at, worry about working on the finances later, figuring out the money thing later. When I'm rich, then I'll then I'll worry about the the money." And again, that's just such the normal common sense, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think what I realized too is that if you can't manage $1,000, you can't manage a million dollars. You know, money management is actually, to me, very simple. Live below your means. Increase the gap between your income and expenses and invest that. And the more time you have to do it, the better off you're going to be. You know, I think a lot of young people don't care about saving for retirement because it feels like it's so far away. But I know when I was in that position, I didn't understand the, co- the power of compound interest. If you save 10% of your income starting at 20, then that means that you don't have to save 40% of your income in your forties, right? Like the earlier you start, the less you have to save and the less painful you're making it for yourself as you go along.
1: Yeah, right on. I I love that too. If you can't manage $10,000, what makes you think you can manage a million, which again, we know the lottery mentality. We know that mm-hmm. like 85% of all lottery winners are right back to where they started within a handful of years. And not just lottery winners. And we're talking those that have the scratch-offs, but lottery winners, these high income earners, like, like mm-hmm. professional athletes and and celebrities. I mean, how many have gone completely broke? And it's not broke, meaning they lost all their money, meaning they're millions of dollars of debt. Yeah. You know, so you would think there's this thing, oh, like, oh, you know, you can't go broke when you have all that money type of thing. It's like, no, more money just means more problems. If you don't understand how money operates.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I think income is irrelevant. If you're not buying assets, if you're buying stuff and you're not buying assets, it really doesn't matter how much money you're making
1: right on. Exactly. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your your economy conference yeah tell me, tell me what that is and and one i'd love to be there support you you know awesome yeah opportunities there but
0: come join the party so economy like i said originated from just me thinking what would i do with my time if i was financially independent which i'm on track to become by the time i'm 40. so i'm about six years away and i go to a lot of the in-person events One that really inspired me is called the World Domination Summit. It happens out of Portland, Oregon. It's been going on for like 10 years. Mr. Money Mustache actually spoke at it one year, which is how I found out about it. And, you know, every time I've gone, I'm surrounded by 2000 people that are living these really unconventional lives. And it made me, every time I go, it makes me feel like my life is so full of possibility. And there's something to being energetically around other people. When it comes to the fire movement, there are a ton of people talking about it online, right? You can find great online community. That is not really my style. I don't like communicating with people through a screen. I like having conversations like this. And so I wanna surround myself with people. I'm also like an extreme extrovert. So that's just like how I get my energy. And so I wanted to create something that makes other people feel the way that I feel when I go to World Domination Summit. And that was kind of my original motivation. And it's it's really incredible. I mean, we had, our first event on March 7th of 2020, which I really feel like I dodged a bullet because it was one week before everything shut down. And I worked on this thing for 20 months. So I just feel like someone is looking out for me up there because I I felt very lucky that we were able to do it. But we had 250 people come to what has been described as a party about money. It's not a stuffy financial workshop. It is as entertaining as it is informative. I've got a lighting designer, I've got a music designer. The, the speakers are incredible and they're talking about financial independence from a number of different angles, whether it be t- tactical, like how do you get out of student loan debt or what do you do with when you get a big medical bill? Or more inspiring, like how do you think about money in a way that's going to benefit you over the long term? I, I think the, the community aspect of this was really important to me because money is such a taboo subject and it carries a lot of shame and it's, it's really tough for people to talk about. So to be able to create a community where we're open and optimistic about this incredible resource has just been really rewarding for me.
1: Now, I'd like to kind of close in on what set us up to have this podcast in the first place. And when we spoke the first time you told me your story, and then we talked about like, what, how could we phrase this? And, and then you came up with the idea, let's call it the power of fuck you money. Yeah. So share your story there about, you know, your job and where you found yourself and even as a woman in that situation. And, you know, the observation you came up with and you kind of got your place like, No, that's kind of the big piece of this too is having the fu money.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think a big part of saving money, one of the things I like to say is that money is only as valuable as your clarity on how you're going to use it and your comfort level with how much is enough. And I definitely believe that. But even in this, you know, accumulation that I've been doing of my savings, my clarity on how I was going to use it is to reach financial independence and have total autonomy over my time. That's what I thought I was doing. But then I was presented with this circumstance with my employer. So I was with my employer for nine years, and about a year ago I got a new boss. And over the years that I had been there, the company had been um, acquired, it had been spun off, it had been joint ventured. the The dynamic and culture of the company had had changed a lot in the nine years that I was there, and you know I had a lot of great um, experience at this company. I felt like I was treated very well. I was valued. I was a salesperson. So I, I, was very clear what my value was. Like I could point to the numbers that I was bringing in. And, you know, this is the employer that had doubled my income in the time I was there. They had given me two months off to go walk the Camino. They gave me you know permission to do this sabbatical. They, you know, let me move away from New York city and work remotely in Cincinnati before working remote was the norm. Um, I felt like I was treated really well there. And then the dynamic shifted when I got a new boss. And over the years, I slowly watched all of the women kind of quietly leave the organization. It used to be um, really most of the leadership team was women and that dynamic shifted. And, you know, over the last year, there's been a lot of talk about diversity and inclusiveness and a lot of companies have initiatives around that. And my employer was the same. They had this initiative around diversity and inclusiveness. And I, I feel like it opened up this can of worms for me because it opened my eyes to the fact that I was the only woman on my team and I was the lowest paid person, yet I was nowhere near the lowest contributor. And I thought about it and I realized that because my employer had given me so many privileges and good raises in the past, I, it's not like I signed up to never get a raise again. At this point, I hadn't had a raise in three years. Why is that? Right. And so, but I look at my male colleagues and they don't seem to have that issue. Right. And so I went to my boss and I said, Hey, this opened up a can of worms for me. I think we should talk about me you know being paid more in line with my male colleagues and my contributions so i did the research i went to my like this our six competitors and just because i've been in the industry for a long time asked like what should i be making based on my performance i didn't even know and it was a hell of a lot more than what i was making and so i used that you know i, I added up you know all of the contributions that I've made over the years, I made my employer like $17 million in commissions. I made my clients like $55 million in royalties. I can't share in any of that, right? I was doing a good job and I was told that, Everything, all of the contributions I was pointing to, I'd already been compensated for that. So I can't really point to that as justification for a raise. And I was told that I didn't knock it out of the park this year. And that's why I'm not entitled to any raise. And I thought, okay, well, what, what are the expectations then of what I should be delivering? What would knocking it out of the park have looked like? They couldn't answer that question. Um, So then I look at You know, I had another colleague that was just promoted to VP and I looked at his sales numbers. He wasn't contributing as much as me. So why is he knocking it out of the park and I'm not? It became very, very clear that I was being held to a much higher standard than my male colleagues and it was a hard thing for me to digest. I have never felt disadvantaged for being a woman. My mom was the breadwinner of my family. Growing up in school, I graduated top of my class, surrounded by girls. I've always worked for women. I've always worked for women-owned organizations. It never occurred to me that I would be at a disadvantage for being a woman, but there was no other explanation offered to me. And when I, when I quit, because I did quit, Um, you know, I submitted a letter to to HR outlining all the specifics of why I was leaving. It just didn't feel right for me to walk away after nine years and not tell them the real reason. I didn't want them thinking that it was because I found a better opportunity. I didn't want them thinking it was because I was going off to do my own thing. I was leaving on principle and it was really important for, for me, for them to know that. Now, like if someone came to you and, and said that, you know, you were discriminating against someone and that wasn't true, wouldn't you like not want someone walking away thinking that that's what happened? They never contested it. They never said, actually, no, you didn't get a raise because of X, Y, and Z. And that's what I wanted. I wanted there to be a reasonable explanation and there wasn't. And so, yeah, it's, um, it was really emotionally hard for me to, to accept it. Um, However, I had the financial bandwidth to be able to walk away. You know, I looked at my finances and I have two years of living expenses liquid outside of my retirement vehicles. I have one year in cash and another year in an after-tax brokerage. So I have the financial bandwidth to not have to tolerate that kind of treatment. And I want that for everyone. And that's why like, I'm not gonna go sue them. I'm not signing an NDA so that I never talk about this again. I wanna talk about this because I think that's how I'm gonna be the most helpful to other people is to recognize that I think the best way to fight discrimination is to walk away, honestly. You know, if if you hit a gla- if you hit a glass ceiling, someone said this to me when I was thinking about leaving and dealing with all of the emotions around it. And by the way, my support system, I can I would not have been able to do it if I didn't have the support system that I have and and the people that spent hours with me on the phone analyzing this because I wanted to be wrong. I did not want to think that I was being discriminated against. And so I I needed a lot of coaching through that. And I had a friend who said to me, if you were renting a house and you stood up one day and hit the ceiling, would you rip apart the house and take down the ceiling to make it higher? You're renting that house, it's not your house. Or would you just go build another house with a taller ceiling? <laughs> or go rent another house with a taller ceiling, right? Like there's no reason for me to have stayed there when I hit this glass, glass ceiling. I got to move on and go somewhere else. And I think if every woman or person that was being discriminated against had the financial bandwidth and the emotional resilience to be able to do that, these companies that are discriminating would be screwed because all the talent would be leaving. And, um, you know, that's the way I approached it, but I was able to do it because of my financial situation. So that's where it starts. I really think it starts with prioritizing your finances so that you
1: have the resources to navigate these kinds of obstacles. Wow. Well said. And thank you for sharing that story. And let's say you were still in New York city and, and being that same in that same earlier mindset, how would it feel to know this and feel, feel stuck? Feel oh, I know. I know exactly how it would feel because
0: I know other women at the organization that are in the same position as me, but they don't have the resources to walk away. And it breaks my heart. You know, it, it's, it's tough and it's not just work situations like this. There are women in toxic marriages that don't have the, the financial bandwidth to walk away. You know, money creates options. Money is a really powerful resource.
1: And I think it needs to be respected as that. So let's wrap up with a few questions. Sure. A few things I like to ask all my guests. The first one is, is say, Christina, if you really, really knew me, you would know that. What's something that a lot of people don't know about you? Mm. With five Siberian Huskies. That's kind of fun. (laughs)
0: I mean, I'm a big dog lover. Um, but yeah, I basically like grew up with a wolf pack. They were, uh, they were crazy. Yeah. (laughs) I love
1: it. Tell me, share with us. What's a big, what's like one of the most, one of the most successful moments, like that sense of pride just between you and yourself. But someone tell me something you're really proud of.
0: I would say, man, there are a number of moments, but when I was on stage at the economy conference last year, you know, I think of starting my own business as like the most intense form of therapy, because it really forced me to go to battle with my insecurities. It really forced me to put myself out there. And even having this conversation with you, like, I'm, you know, I'm kind of laying a lot on the line of, of, you know, what I've been through and, and. I just naively went into this business thinking I'm just an event producer. I'm not a content creator. I'm not gonna, you know, I don't need it to be about me. I'm creating a stage for other content creators. I'm just an event producer. And through the process of building it, I realized like I have to put myself out there and share and connect with people in that way. So when I got on the economy stage, it, you know, I actually went through a really deep depression in battling those insecurities. And I was going to cancel the conference. I was like, I can't do this. You know, there were a lot of moments where I just thought, let me throw in the towel. Why am I doing this to myself? I'm not even making money off of this, right? What's the point? And, but then when I stood on that stage and I looked out at this audience of 250 people that I gathered in this room for this purpose, it, I was so proud of myself for not quitting. So incredibly proud of myself for not quitting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot there too that we can we can reach the edge of throwing in the towel, but you don't throw in the towel, you keep going and look back and be like I'm so glad I just, you know, held on to that grit and made it happen. So, yeah, congrats. Cuz I think you. what what you would have like all the help that you offered and everything that was taken away wouldn't have happened. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And just like having the experience of creating something that I'm really proud of, mm-hmm. you know, I chose not to have children. I'm, I'm not going to have any kids. And so when I think about the things that I have chosen to do, it's like, I'm not going to create a human, but I'm going to create a world adventure or a business or something that I can be proud of. You know, it's just,
1: I, I think we all have that urge. Yeah. Well, let's on the flip side of that, tell me like a big failure or something that you're like, one of the greatest lesson learning lessons of all time, but if I had to do over, I wouldn't do that one again.
0: Ooh. Okay, so when I walked the Camino um, on the first day, I fell in love with this Australian man and I proceeded to like chase him across the country, you know, and there was just all of this push and pull and drama and, It's, it's so silly when I look back on it now, but you know, I had this opportunity to do a lot, have a lot of personal growth on the Camino. And I did in a way because I got to, you know, experience what my issues are with men, like in first, like in real time. Right. Um, But I, I think I, I gave myself a lot more than I needed to on that trip because I wasn't accepting what was being shown to me. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be another way. And it's like I was fighting with reality. And whenever we fight with reality, this is a great quote from Byron Katie, one of my favorite authors. Um, She wrote this book called Loving What Is. And she says, if you fight with reality, you'll lose, but only 100% of the time. (laughs) 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 So yeah, I was fighting with reality on that trip. I love it.
1: All right. One final question to wrap us up. What's a big fat myth that you'd like to bust.
0: You know, if you, if you look at the traditional knowledge out there of like how much money you need for retirement, people will tell you, you need five or $10 million to retire. You know, I think Susie Orman said that she hates the fire movement because she sees people retiring on a million or $2 million. And that's simply not enough and it's just not true. You know, you don't, I don't think you need a ton of money. I think you need enough money and
1: you'd actually be really surprised that that's a lot less than you think it will be. So true. Well, thank you so much for being here today. There's so many golden nuggets in this conversation and you are remarkable. I love your, your energy, your fire, and your commitment to this mission and everything that you're doing. And I really like the idea where you said, it's a party about money. It's like, hell yeah.
0: Oh yeah, let's do it.
1: (laughs) All right, girlfriend. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. If you're inspired by today's show and you're the kind of person who likes to help others, there are some easy ways that you can help me. First, please subscribe to the Wealthy Wealthy Podcast. By doing so, it helps both of us. You'll never miss an episode, and it helps me and my ratings. And if you're able to leave a review, hopefully five stars, even better. Finally, if you think your friends and family would enjoy the show, I invite you to share the Wealthy Wealthy podcast with everyone you know. If you have any questions, I'm here. You can email me at support and I may even use your question or suggestion for a future podcast episode. Also, if you want to be motivated and inspired more regularly, connect with me on Instagram or LinkedIn at Christina Wise. That's K-R-I-S-S-T-I-N-A-W-I-S-E. I -I -I I believe we are all on this journey together towards finding our sovereignty and freedom. And I'd love to be part of your journey. I'd love to help you and especially on the financial side. So learn more at SovereigntyAcademy.com. As always, thank you so much for listening and being part of the Wealthy Wealthy community.